Coming up, electric cars and crash testing. How safe are they really? And how the hell would anyone actually know? Details next. For many people buying EVs today, it's a religion. And obviously one of the core issues about religion is you're absolutely not allowed to question anything. The resurrection of electric Jesus, it's a done deal, essentially. You're certainly not allowed to scrutinise or question any claims that may or may not be made by a dude in a dress professing special... Let's call it... uh, Knowledge. You just have to believe blindly. That's what faith actually is. And when you think about it, it must be oddly liberating to live that kind of existence, where EVs are good and everything else is unacceptable. All you have to do is believe and you'll get along just fine at all of those regular Sunday meetings, right? So if you are that EV zealot, this report is going to be tantamount to heresy. I'm happy for you to watch, of course. Fair warning is all I'm saying. You might not agree with some of it, and I'm not really here to offend you. I don't care if you are offended, but that's not the core purpose of me sitting here on my ass in my wonderful fat cave and delivering this message. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap, (laughs) even electric ones, for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously, and on that website there is a direct contact link that comes straight to me down there. Deep in the turd mine here, basking in it. (laughs) Or you can click the maybe card or not, which is sometimes up there now, dude. This report is inspired by a person just like you, perhaps. Only he spends rather a lot of his downtime thinking about EVs and crashing, and I don't know that he has access to Google just yet. There will also be a healthy serve of nuts at the end, plus some winners. Oh, free crap, and that's always nice, if you can maintain sufficient interest while we chow down on the main course of EVs and crashworthiness. I have tried to find information regarding crash testing of EVs with very little success. How does this technology stand up to the fact weight is such a large factor in the design of these cars? Have Chinese vehicles been tested? I can't see how with so many new startups. I enjoy your good work. Keep them honest. Okay, so no apostrophe in EVs, dude. You must, must stop doing that. The same goes for CDs, DVDs, ADRs, FYIs, BTWs, or even LMFAOs, and so forth. No apostrophe, please. Let's try to fake it, shall we? Vis-a-vis how hard we paid attention at school. Quite important for job applications, etc. Free advice, just saying. Excellent reference. Might help. Now, all vehicles, be they electric or blasphemous heresy chariots powered by liquids must pass ADR-mandated crash tests. Not optional. They must pass if they are to be approved for sale here in Shitsville. These regulations are generally the same as the ones in Europe and or the US 
and that is harmonised to reduce the burden of compliance in individual markets, right? This process is known as homologation and it cannot be sidestepped. But unfortunately, the crash tests that get all of the airtime are the ANCAP ones. You might have heard of them. And these are not legal requirements. They're not regulatory. The compliance tests, like the ADR ones, they're pretty easy to pass comparatively. Like, you can get zero ANCAP stars and still qualify for homologation and end up on sale here. And there's no requirement to be tested or assessed by ANCAP, none whatsoever. Many people simply do not know this and they think ANCAP has a badge and a gun, metaphorically, and the reality is it doesn't. ANCAP is not a regulatory agency. It's completely optional, kind of a sideshow, almost a charity, especially lately. Here in Australia, ANCAP is managed, in my view, about as well as the former Soviet bureaucracy, and they've painted themselves into something of an informational corner where the data they provide to the public is a complete dog's breakfast of consumer irrelevance. It's really hard to get to the bottom of, frankly. It's wide open to misinterpretation and not all that helpful to ordinary punters who just want to compare cars and find the safest one. And this would be comedic in a Keystone Cops way, only the reality is that lives are on the line. ANCAP's main mission in terms of its existence, insofar as I can see, is to secure the next round of ANCAP funding from the federal frigging government. And they really do put rather a lot of energy into that, but they still cry poor and effectively spend a great deal of time just cutting and pasting results from Euro ANCAP into the .com.au ANCAP site, which really often results in suboptimal outcomes for Aussie new car buyers like you, dude. Australia's no Europe and we have different crash modalities, obviously. ANCAP has not tested a Tesla ever, for example. They've lunched off the Euro results for the Model S, the Model 3 and the Model X. They have not published any Tesla results since 2019. All of the results they've got, those three, the S, the 3 and the Model X, they're all five stars, but one of them, the Model S, is from 2015 and the other two are from 2019. So you absolutely cannot and should not compare them. They're all five stars, but they're all different. None of them were tested in Australia. Nissan Leaf, the anus of the EVs, and... Dude, you might think that's a slur, but try living without one, even briefly, for a couple of weeks or something. It's also a Euro cut and paste job for ANCAP. Command C, Command V, job's done. Next. No news there on ANUS EV since 2018 on the ANCAP front. And even then, that was cut and pasted. So that was three years ago when a, a completely different testing protocol pertained, right? Not relevant to today, but still on sale. Five stars for that one three years ago. It's just not the same thing as 
five stars today, which must be very confusing and open to misinterpretation by average members of the public who just want to know which one's the friggin' safest. ANCAP did actually crash test onshore one Hyundai Kona Electric. That was on the 18th of September in 2019. I sincerely hope that didn't put too much of a dent in their ongoing quest for funding and filling in all those forms. Five stars for the Kona Electric. That's the upshot anyway. No way to tell what it would get today because that rating they awarded the Kona Electric was in late 2019. It's officially a 2017 rating though, even though the EV version was tested in 2019. See what I mean about the parallels here with the former Soviet bureaucracy, right? It's very hard to understand. It took ANCAP six whole months after the launch of the EV version of the Kona to test it, and they only performed the offset frontal crash test, not the pole nor the side impact test. They claim they only did this test for, quote, auditing purposes, <sighs> whatever that means. Next up, Mercedes EQA and EQC, the dizygotic plug-in three-pronged suppository offerings, right? Euro cut and paste again for Australia, both of them. Both got five stars, but tested in 2019, so not the same thing as five stars today. And that's not like totally confusing at all, is it? You can say, yeah, okay, pretty safe, but that's about all, right? There's no AEB for reverse over protection or junction assist, for example, with either EQ shitbox, I note. ANCAP has also cut and pasted the Euro NCAP result for the Hyundai Ionic. That's the old Ionic, right? Not the EV only Ionic 5, which they just launched. They lump the EV, the hybrid, and the plug-in variants of old Ionic all together, right? That's a 2016 five-star rating for a car that did not go on sale here until late 2018. Go figure. Dust for Dunya, dudes. The somewhat irrelevant Hyundai Ionic 5, which is quite an impressive car, but like this is the shiny new Hyundai EV that they totally botched the launch of by effectively having none of them statistically for sale. Interestingly, I guess, is the most diplomatic way to describe that but it's also a euro cut and paste for australia but at least it's a current rating of five stars it's the only current rating of five stars for an ev that i can find on abs um, ancap's website there might be others but perhaps i just had a boy's look and if you're thinking about rolling the die and buying a chinese ev ANCAP did helpfully cut and paste Euro NCAP's 2019 result for the ZS EV. That's the MG ZS EV, despite the vehicle itself not going on sale here until November of 2020. And the reason I'm highlighting and also shit canning this retroactive ratings approach is that obviously it opens the door to deploying a particular vehicle here on a particular date, like well after the fact, but having its safety rating linked to an earlier set of evaluation protocols, which are generally substantially easier to get five stars under. Like 
if this were politics, right, and subject to some independent commission against corruption, someone would be stepping down while an investigation into the bent-over appearance of all of this was held. Personal opinion. As loopholes go, I'd suggest, it seems like a pretty big one to me. And if you just want to plug in hybrid because you're not quite yet ready to go full cult on an MG or any other EV, NCAP has helpfully cut and pasted the Euro NCAP determination for the MGHS. <sighs> Dude, but nobody's been asked to test the plug-in. So it's as yet unrated. Well done there. The elephant in the room here on safety for all EVs, at least the ones which are hastily concocted off the back of existing combustion platforms, is actually on the limit handling. Like, this is fundamental crash avoidance when you think about it. And frankly, they are bound to be bad at that because of an intrinsic phenomenon known as modal separation. This affects dynamics, especially at the limit, okay? Essentially, when you turn an ice platform into an EV, you lower the mass centre relative to the roll centre, okay? And it changes the behaviour. It means the platforms are going to be either too soft in bump and rebound or too stiff in roll or both. You get this departure from ideality in the dynamics domain and it's because the same set of control architecture is trying to do two different things and they're no longer really aligned because of the change in the masses and the distributions, right? This is anything but ideal. And to my knowledge, nobody actually tests that, at least not externally, which frankly is disgraceful and out of touch because every engineer alive, even the bad ones kind of like me, can see that this is a potentially dangerous compromise that should be, it's crying out to be, independently assessed, like, as a priority. Now, this month's Olite winners, dudes who will have their recent Black Friday Olite sale orders refunded in full, because, thanks, dude. And don't forget, the sale is still on for the next few hours. It ends at midnight tonight. There are substantial discounts and there's a link in the description, right? Plus a code for you to get 10% off should you miss this sale. That's ending at midnight tonight, the 30th of November, okay? First lucky bastard, a dude named Jim Briggs from Berkeley Vale, gateway to Palmdale Lawn Cemetery and Bunnings Tuggera, Australia. That's here in New South Shitsville, just north of here, actually, under the new rule of Pope Parrothead I, of course, so that's entertaining. New strain of stupidity just identified, of course, in Macquarie Street. Something for the newsies to report on. Genetic sequencing of that, of course, has been banned as a thought crime. New strain resistant to all known facts, just saying. Setting up to be a dead interesting 2022, isn't it? Certainly not less shit than 2021, in direct contravention of my make Australia less shit 
constitutional amendment. We're still working it through, however. I'll also look forward to seeing what the fixated peanut unit gets up to next year. That's always entertaining in Senate estimates. <laughs> I get agree. The second Olight winner now, Matthew Blandford from Fern Tree Gully in Lockdownistan. Fern Tree Gully, so preposterously scenic, even now after they closed the sewer, right? Just east of Chemist Warehouse Knoxfield and south of the legendary Golden Pebble Hotel. Yes, and you probably want to visit them in that order. Chemist Warehouse and then the hotel, like preemptive strike, dude. That's a pro tip if you know what's good for you. Just a hop, skip and a dump to Centrelink Dandenong after you recover. Who needs Europe? when Centrelink by the Bay is just a course of antibiotics away on the East Link in a stolen VL. <laughs> Good times. Complete bullshit breaking glass. I've worked emergency response for a quarter of a century and seen the need to break glass. Never. Just one minor point before we kick off, John. I just looked it up. Bullshit is one word, not two Given the sheer volume of it that we deal with in daily life, we might as well take the trouble and have the self-respect to get that right. But yes, I agree, dude. It's a total myth. Breaking glass for rescue. They're all making it up. This is, of course, why Leatherman includes a glass-breaking carbide point in the Raptor and the Skeletal Rescue and why Victorinox puts a glass breaker in their lime green rescue tool. And why Olite put those zirconium glass breaking bearings in the bezel of the new Warrior X3. Because they'll all never be needed and thus never wear out. <laughs> How clever is that? No spare parts inventory is going to be required. No customer care training. No aftermarket servicing. This is brilliant. And of course there's Holmatro, the Christian Dior of rescue tools. They're glass master. What a staggering triumph of complete uselessness, redundancy, whatever, dude. The spring-loaded centre punch to break the glass and the stellite saw at the top for ripping through a laminated windscreen like butter. These tools all exist because Obviously, rescue through glass is never required, according to experts. Correction, expert. Pro tip, according to Kids Safe Victoria, every year in Shitsville, 5,000 children are rescued after being abandoned in some friggin' car. That's about 100 kids a week. Let's call it 15 a day. And between the 1st of September 2017 and the 31st of August 2018, that's one full recent year, BC, before COVID, in that year, Ambulance Victoria responded to 1,587 call-outs for people who were locked in cars, overwhelmingly toddlers and babies. And Victoria is about a quarter of the population, so those two stats line up nicely, don't they? Kids Safe says that if you see a person locked in a car, call the fire brigade on triple zero as a priority and, quote, 
wait for emergency services or safely try to remove the child from the vehicle if you are concerned about the child's condition as every second counts. As every friggin' second counts, dude. Not my words, okay? Blame it on kids safe. So, Mr. Perry, while I appreciate you telling me that I'm full of shit on this, I don't think I could live with myself, frankly, if a child succumbed to heat stroke while I was awaiting the arrival of the fireys who might be saving some other poor bastard's life while every second counts. Might have to get through a window. It's not just a hypothetical concept, dude. And with that, perhaps we'll leave it to you in the audience to decide where the facts actually lie in relation to needing to break the friggin' glass for the purposes of rescuing someone in a life-threatening situation when the clock is ticking. This guy is so annoying, the CIA use his videos to torture people. Donna Wester there. Thank you, Donna. I've got an image of you in my mind too. Quite a vivid one, just saying. But you are, of course, quite correct. They do. The CIA. Very effectively, too, I might add. But only if these people won't crack any other way. These detainees. Kind of a last resort. They don't all survive the process, frankly, and many of them are never the same again. But how do you think they actually got Osama bin Laden's home address in Pakistan? Hashtag secret weapon. I'm not your traditional dude, more of a chick, but I do love tinkering with the motorcycle and will be taking some metal fabrication courses. Easy but useful hack. Thank you, dude. Be a plum. There, be a plum. Commenting on my recent welding helmet headlamp hack report, I'll put a link, uh, you know, maybe. Be a plum. That's kind of better than a range of other surname alternatives, isn't it, when you think about it? Have you decided what you might call your daughter yet, Mr. and Mrs. Sadistic Bastard? Now, when you say, Bea, that you are, quote, more of a chick, I try to refrain from going here, but it's like telling someone not to think of a pink elephant. Like, what do you do? So I cannot help but wonder how much more, like, exactly... These issues are so confusing to me these days, you know, being old and so forth. Like, when I grew up, people were typically either a lot more of a dude or a lot more of a dude-dad. It was much more definite back then. And I did a hell of a lot of testing on that too earlier in my life. Perhaps there really is more crossover now, a bit more of a grey area. I don't know. I'm too scared to launch another probe into this one, even, you know from orbit with the visitors. I just hope people are happy, ultimately, wherever they sit on this complex dude-dudette spectrum. And look, if you are going to stick a torch on a welding helmet, and in particular, weld overhead, especially MIG welding, like gas metal arc welding, channeling my inner John of Arc momentarily, then you got to protect your torch from the death of a thousand spatters by wiping on a little anti-spatter spray, which you could obviously buy. But spray-on cooking oil also works pretty well also, and the wife will never even know it's gone from the pantry until she needs it. Even a little nozzle gel. And being more of a dude 
I do enjoy liberally applying a little nozzle gel from time to time. I think we all do. There's no shame in this anymore either. That's completely outdated. And nor will doing this affect your eyesight. That's also a complete myth. But I do occasionally get a rude email from my very good friends at Trefilex HD when I mention this. Trefilex HD, of course. Dead marvellous stuff. The thick fluid really does stick to the tool. It really does. It's written on the packet. Like, must be true. I've tested that a lot too, though. And on, uh, heart, among other things. Describes welding so sensually. That's not really a me thing, Oscom. Like, welding itself is intrinsically sensual. Deeply sensual. It's borderline erotic sometimes, especially stick welding. Certainly beyond merely titillating. How else could one describe welding and still remain authentic as to its true nature? dude. However, to be fair, many activities are equally sensual. It's not just welding at all. Tapping a blind hole, preferably M12 by 1.75 when the plug tap bottoms out. <laughs> Jesus. Locking a wheel at the end of the main straight, that's also fairly sensual. Getting a death threat as a journalist, like badge of honour, quite intimate. I haven't had a death threat for friggin' weeks lately. It's just Two angry phone calls. It's not the same thing. Hopeless. Lifting up the hem and showing the public the vegetables. You know, last week's courgette and the prunes mainly of some particular car maker or dealer behaving badly. That is a deeply sensual activity. Like, I just call it as I see it, dude. Think of it as a kind of public monument to a preposterously misspent life. <laughs>